uh, each of these places were was the perfect place to be in the time that I was in it. Um, some of them I lived in by choice, my own choice, but others were my parents' choices. <laughs> Uh, but I enjoyed them all in different ways. And I think perhaps the thing that made me who I am today is the the combination of these abrupt changes in location and cultures and homes. It, it gave me the ability to adapt so quickly, to learn to accept others, to be open-minded and always revisit my own beliefs and values in a new way. And also to learn to enjoy where I am and the place where I am. Immigrating to study in the U.S. can be an overwhelming experience. Between cultural challenges and surprising opportunities, the possibilities are just unlimited. This is Unlimited by the MIT Arab Alumni Association, the show where we interview MIT alumni to explore their motivations, culture shocks, best moments, and reflections on their journeys. And I'm Omar Obaya, MIT Class 2018, hosting this season. Our guest today spent her childhood between Lebanon, Canada, and Saudi Arabia. After finishing her bachelor's degree in the Lebanese American University, she joined MIT in 2017 to pursue her master's, and then she graduated right before the pandemic. Our guest likes to do many things at the same time. During her time at MIT, she visited five countries in relation to her work. Since her graduation, she worked as a researcher at MIT, and now she's the lead researcher in the MIT Future Heritage Lab. Simultaneously, she's also working full-time at Urban Designer in Canada. As a proud Lebanese, she was very active in the Lebanese community in Boston. Even a few months after her graduation, she helped to organize the MIT Lebanon Challenge. And when the devastating explosion took place in August 2020, she wrote a letter to the MIT community to spread awareness and help raise money for Beirut. Our guest today has an adventurous soul and a lot of stories to tell in so many countries. Let me welcome Daniela Ma'amari to the show. Daniela, ahlan biki. Hello, Omar. Thank you so much for having me. So to start with, did you always want to travel abroad to study at MIT? Or was it more of a spontaneous decision? Well, to start with, I always want to travel abroad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If I recall properly, the idea of pursuing academia as a career option started becoming an exciting option for me at the end of my fourth year, um, where I found myself hungry to learn more about architectural history. Uh, I was very passionate about using archival imagery and films to tell the rich history of buildings and urban environment in Lebanon and the region. Um, So my initial idea was to study architectural history, uh, pursue a PhD, abroad, uh, since this this topic is actually not offered in Lebanese universities, with the goal of like eventually going back to Lebanon to teach there and potentially have a design practice um, with innovative heritage research and reconstruction. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, A pivotal moment uh, where I realized I was definitely ready and excited for this challenge was uh, when I joined my younger brother, Julien on his impromptu trip to Montreal uh, at the beginning of my last year of undergrad. It was actually one of the craziest last-minute trips I ever had to make. Uh, We spent almost three days commuting to and from Beirut and only three days in Montreal, but actually three eye-opening days. Um, We got to experience McGill's campus, uh, a school mom always told us about because she studied there. 
Um, and it's where I actually attended my first classes as a newborn, newborn in her master's classes. Um, and, and I have a McGill uh, baby shirt to prove it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, so basically, we realized that like we will enjoy the rigorous educational programs and the diverse international community. So from there, I started applying to Canadian universities. Uh, only because the U.S. ones were actually financially out of reach for me. Um, but I was determined to at least apply to one university, MIT, um, because it had the number one architecture program, so I had to try. Um, but I knew it was a long shot, so I actually didn't tell anyone that I applied. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the second that I received the McGill acceptance, I was already celebrating with friends. Like I was out to dinner with them and everything. And that night when I arrived home, of course, plot twist, <laughs> I received my MIT acceptance to the School of Architecture. Oh, and not just- You need another party then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, I was very shocked because it's not just the acceptance, but I received the exact amount of scholarship and stipend money that I needed to financially be able to attend. Uh, so I was very happy. <laughs> and after weeks of debating which school I should go to, with like my, my family and friends were looking at me like, what are you debating? And how is this a question? <laughs> um, I ended up obviously choosing MIT and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, your family and friends only knew that you applied to MIT when you got the acceptance. <laughs> Basically, I mean, my mom and dad knew because I was applying, you know, the doing the application on New Year's yeah. Eve. You remember, yeah, okay. it was always... Yeah. <laughs> Probably till 7 a.m. or something, 11 on time. No, I still went to the New Year's Eve party, so okay. I, I had to finish by like <laughs> 10 or so. <laughs> but yeah. So besides academics, was there any other motivation? Yes, actually. Uh, throughout my undergrad and internships in Lebanon, uh, I had the privilege to encounter three alumni uh, from MIT who left a strong impression on my career path. In my first year, I was taught by Hania Asfour. He was an unconventional, innovative designer, professor, uh, whose attitude and design thinking were unparalleled. Um, I enjoyed his classes because they were like a safe and creative space that was very organized, motivating and welcoming. Um, and it made me appreciate his background, his openness, and his academic parkour. Um, and on top of that, at the end of my fourth year, I also had the privilege to work for Hashem Serki Studios as an intern on, on an awesome urban-scale project in Historic Biblos. Um, dean Serkis is the dean of the School of Architecture at MIT, so maybe having his name somewhere on my application helped. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'm just going on a limb here. Um, but in fact, I was in the Beirut office, so I only got the chance to meet Dean Serkis when he was in town. And it was actually in the most formal setting. Like I was sitting between the mayor, engineers and architects and him. Um, and I was taken by how at the time he managed to convince all the stakeholders with his brilliant solutions and designs. But in the calmest, most respectable fashion, um, I was impressed to the point where I actually didn't know what to say. And I probably just smiled, like I smiled shyly from the corner. And yes, that happens sometimes. <laughs> 
Um, and I appreciated his methodology of tackling problems um, and the way in which it was relayed. Um, and in this internship, my direct supervisor was Sandra Frem. She's also a great like Lebanese woman role model who managed to balance academia and practice. And she encouraged me to apply to MIT and the SMARCS program, which she did uh, before me. So in a sense, what drew me to MIT was first the qualities and the academic rigor, but also the values of these professors and practitioners I had encountered. They were all role models to me in one way or another. And I was excited to apply to a place where I could enrich my thoughts and experiences by meeting and studying with people from all backgrounds. So I hear that the academic rigor and the academic role models were your motivations to apply to MIT, which makes sense. But there's an additional element I'm curious about. I know you grew up between Lebanon, Canada, and Saudi Arabia, and that you would also visit the U.S. from time to time. So you had a quite rich childhood, if I may say. How did this exposure affect your experience of studying abroad? So yeah, definitely I had an exciting childhood. <laughs> um, I think also maybe what was most interesting and exciting about it was how much I moved around and how many schools I had been to, how many houses I changed, how many like countries I had lived in. And it gave me the ability to adapt fast to new places and value the kind of the diversity that each place and every experience presented. Um, so, yeah. So in 2017, you traveled to Boston and started school at MIT. What is one piece of advice you would like to give to current MIT students? Hmm. Um, I think maybe what I would say to students right now is always be unapologetically yourself. Um, and if you're excited about something new, don't be afraid to take that subject from a completely different department and major. Uh, I'm going to also say, like, even if your advisor like doesn't always agree, obviously not in all the cases. But in my experience, like being flexible and firm enough to change direction completely made the MIT experience for me way more valuable. Um, so I came in like studying Islamic architectural history and I left as an urban designer. So um, just explore uh, because MIT has the resources and the diversity that allows you to explore one topic very deeply or combine different disciplines in new ways. Um, and also take advantage of the existing resources so things like MISTI actually were wonderful for me because I got to travel to the Netherlands and do an internship there, which was actually quite formative. So yeah, that would be my advice. Basically, be, be yourself unapologetically, try new things, don't be afraid to take risks and explore new courses and use the resources that are there. Does your advice apply to grad students and undergrads equally? I think so. I mean, why not? Because at the end of the day, you are there to learn and to experiment. And this is the best time and the best place to do so. I absolutely agree. Keeping your eyes wide open is key. And now it's time for our rapid fire questions round regarding life at MIT. <laughs> Daniela, during your time at MIT, where did you live? 
the first year I was in 70 Amherst Street. Uh, the second year, first semester, I was in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam, doing a MISTI internship. And then when I came back, I lived in Ashdown for a year. Best place to eat near campus? I used to like Saloniki, the Greek place. <laughs> Favorite activity outside academics? Honestly, I really enjoyed the Lebanese club events and retreats and the Arab Student Association dinners, the fall and the spring. <laughs> Those were fun. Favorite time of the year at MIT? Not the snow. <laughs> well, you're, you're Canadian and you currently <laughs> live in Canada. It's, it's growing on me, but slowly. <laughs> Favorite non-residential building at MIT? The chapel. Um, the architecture is beautiful and I loved playing piano there when I was stressed. Um, the acoustics are awesome, and it was always super calm. Yeah, definitely chapel. Favorite place to work outside the lab? <laughs> Does Ashdown's common room count? Because I, I, I like totally took over that space with my markers and my diagrams and everything. <laughs> counts, why not? <laughs> yeah. So now we're done with the rapid questions, and let's go forward for some reflections on your journey. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your experience living in different countries. We briefly talked earlier that you've lived in many countries, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Canada, the Netherlands, and the United States. Where did you enjoy the most? Um, well, to be honest, uh, each of these places were, was the perfect place to be in the time that I was in it. Um, some of them I lived in by choice, my own choice, but others were my parents' choices. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed them all in different ways. And I think perhaps the thing that made me who I am today is the, the combination of these abrupt changes in location and cultures and homes. It, it gave me the ability to adapt so quickly, to learn to accept others, to be open-minded and always revisit my own beliefs and values in a new way. And also to learn to enjoy where I am and the place where I am. Um, but if you want me to like uh, delve into each location, uh, I would probably say that Saudi Arabia was interesting because I lived in a sheltered, very sheltered environment with my nucleus family. So it was like me, my brother, sister, mom, dad. And it allowed us to really grow like our family bond, like make it even stronger. And then there is Lebanon, which obviously, <laughs> obviously holds a very special place in my heart. Um, it's home to family, friends and so many things that I love. But what probably strengthened my relationship with my country was actually being away from it as well, because I got to experience it as a tourist and not just as a citizen. So I appreciated its beauty, heritage, etc. Um, and what was even more unique was the fact that I lived in several locations within Lebanon, which is not usually common. So I'm from the south, but I lived in Beirut for several years, in the mountain, in Biblos on the coast, and in the coastal mountains as well. And to this day, I still enjoy like touring in my own country, like. Um, because it has so many things to explore uh, and discover. And then there's the Netherlands. I actually lived for six months in the Netherlands, and that was part of the MISTI program. And the Netherlands was somewhere I was always fascinated by. <laughs> I love that country. 
Um, and I used to support their football team. <laughs> Um, yes, they're great. And it was because of my dad, actually. So he, he's been supporting them since 1971. <laughs> wow, why? As, I'm not sure, but I also support them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a wonderful experience. And it was actually... Um, so I've always wanted to to live for a few months in Europe just to because I love how quickly you can travel there and discover new places. And it was wonderful. And the work was very interesting. Uh, and I piqued my interest in urban planning. So that was a pivotal moment as well. Um, and then there's Canada and the US. So the US, obviously, the bulk of my experience was MIT. Um, I have traveled a lot uh, to the US before I went to MIT. But definitely, MIT is the peak. Uh, it was a wonderful experience that I'm never going to forget. And I will never also forget all the people there. So, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and then there's Canada, which is the opposite of like the chaotic Lebanon, I guess. Uh, and this is actually what I'm appreciating about it, too. So amidst all the craziness, there's some peace of mind in Canada, which is lovely. <laughs> and often necessary. And I love how Canada just so happened to be the place that's forcing me to examine my my pace of living, especially in the pandemic, and like forcing me to establish routines and think of like the hobbies and lifestyle I would like to have. And I'm I'm definitely ex enjoying like exploring this calmer side. But I'm also really excited for when uh, things are going to open up in uh, Montreal and I will get to see the more vibrant side of it. So I hope this like answered the question in some way. <laughs> so wh where would I expect 50-year-old Daniela to Oof, be? Even I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it were... I mean, an airplane. <laughs> yes, bas basically. I, I tried to think of this question, but... I I would say uh, if if I can have a caravan like put all my stuff and my plants in it and like move every six months, uh, but it has to be next to the water, and I'm not too picky about um, what kind of water. I know canal, ocean is fine, but definitely somewhere I can swim, dance, and wear my funky clothes. That'll be fun. <laughs> As someone from Alexandria, I can't agree with you more. <laughs> Absolutely. Since you lived the most in Canada and the US, does being an immigrant in these two countries feel any different? So actually, I'm a Canadian citizen. <laughs> um, so how does it feel? It, it's, it's colder. <laughs> Which we all know how I feel about that. So... <laughs> um, Maybe the first thing we have to acknowledge is that my experience in the U.S. and Canada was different because also my role was different. So I was a student in the U.S. in a very like unique, international, sheltered community in Cambridge. But then Canada, I was, I'm in this like exciting cultural hub that's Montreal. But you know, it's a hub that's been sleeping since I arrived because <laughs> of the pandemic. Um, also, there's the fact that here I'm in the labor force. So I work here. I'm a citizen. I also have this like sense of belonging or the need to understand this place better. 
um, because I've only lived here a few years of my life. Um, but it's a wonderful place to me because it has opened so many doors for my family and I. Um, but also what's unique about Montreal is like the European cultural vibe and the predominance of the French language, which I'm actually trying to acquire. Believe it or not, my job is in French. <laughs> well, so, so why do you like the, the pre predominance of the French language if you didn't master French? Well, I like it because I'm learning it. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. So good luck in it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, it's quite immersive, let's say. Um, but perhaps like the really the biggest difference I feel is that like in Montreal, you're walking down the street you hear so many different languages. Um, you get the sense that people are accepted as they are with their unique identities. You know, the expression, uh, Canada is a mosaic of different people and cultures, whereas the US is a melting pot. Oh, that, that's a nice analogy. Yeah, so like the assumption is that the US is sort of a, more of a place where you, ex you are expected to blend in or be part of the system. And this is something actually super subtle, like you don't notice it easily. But I noticed that, for example, when I was in the US, I used to tone down the funky way I dressed. <laughs> um, whereas when I first came here, I regained that uh, like edge, you know, maybe because of Montreal and how like accepting or vibrant or artsy it is. But yeah, I definitely felt the difference in that way. Now let's talk a little bit about your career. You're currently a lead researcher at MIT and also you're working in a company for full time simultaneously. How in the world <laughs> are you able to do both? And what do you plan to achieve from this setup? Um, with much difficulty, <laughs> um, but definitely COVID and confinement helps. Um, it requires a lot of like effort and organization, but obviously I have a lot of reasons for why I want to do this. So as I mentioned before, I was uh, since the beginning kind of interested in pursuing a PhD. Um, so I would like to kind of keep a connection with academia. But at the same time, my field is a practical one and gaining practical experience is essential. Um, so as I mentioned before, I was always interested in pursuing a PhD, but right now I don't feel ready yet, especially to commit to like six years to one specific topic. Um, but since my field is a practical one, I feel like this is the perfect time to be building my practical experience. Um, but I would also hope that my current experience in the field would help me choose a better research question later on, should I choose to do a PhD. Um, but also being in practice, your projects are often guided by what developers, engineers, or other people want, and also what the budget and the timeline can accommodate. So the possibility for cutting edge research usually diminishes when you're trying to make a deadline and... Uh, on time and clients and users happy. So basically what I think is that the combination of research and a practice position is currently the best case scenario for someone who's interested like me in gaining real world experience, but also maintaining ties to academia. So that's basically my first reason that I feel like um, 
like this mix between academia and practice is the best um, like balance for me. Um, yeah, and the second reason is that this project that I'm working on at MIT is really something I'm passionate about. Um, I work as a lead researcher on this project called REACT Beirut with the MIT Future Heritage Lab, but also in collaboration with the Civic Data Design Lab. So I've been working with the lab since June 2020, Um, the first project I was working on, I actually worked on as well while I was a student. Um, so it was designing a course called Design and Scarcity, uh, which talks about the ethics of implementing art and design processes in refugee camps from an artistic and social entrepreneurship perspective. So in a sense, this work always has a humanitarian component that I'm really excited about, and it's always very innovative. Um, and in January, we won a grant for our proposal, which will assess the reconstruction process after the Beirut port explosion. Um, Congrats. Yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. And what we're working on is pinpointing ways in which to preserve Beirut's intangible living heritage. And as of now, we've been trying to focus on uh, how craftspeople have been involved in the reconstruction process. and what are ways in which these people could have been involved? Um, so we're doing like data gathering, surveys, and different types of things to help answer this question. And in short, I'm, I'm very motivated to work on this project because I'm, I'm able through my design and research skills to help in my small way in the recovery of Lebanon. Because Lebanon is a place that obviously means a lot to me. Um, and this is my small way to stay connected during these tough times and make a small contribution. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you're doing this to maximize your exposure and um, increase your optionality in, in the future. Yeah, and I think that these two things, like being involved in both academia and in practice, will always feed into one another because you're building different types of skill set and you're expanding your knowledge and your connections and lots of different things. Daniela, I think you're adventurous, well-rounded, and can do so many things in the same time and have a wide skill set. Well, I know you do have two jobs already, but have you ever considered entrepreneurship? <laughs> <laughs> you actually have no idea how much I get this question. Especially recently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. I should be thinking about it. <laughs> um, so, so maybe, I mean, obviously I graduated in February 2020, which is perhaps not the best time to graduate. <laughs> But yeah, so amidst like the worsening job market, I guess I started realizing that my design skills were transferable to other disciplines. And it was actually the perfect opportunity for me to gain new skills. So I spent a lot of time gaining knowledge in very random topics. And by random, I mean different than what I've been studying before. So marketing, technology, uh, volunteering for different things, social entrepreneurship. So it was like a wonderful time of exploration. Uh, but at the same time, it made me more confident in that, like, the career I'm pursuing right now is what I want to be doing. Um, and this balance is also what I want. 
But uh, who knows, maybe entrepreneurship is definitely something that might be in my future. Maybe not the near future, but there are several aspects of the lifestyle, the freedom, the mode of work that I appreciate. Um, but I believe that if I were to become an entrepreneur at one point, it would be because I'm super excited about solving like a very important problem and creating the solution for it using my design skills or let's say uh, miscellaneous other skills. Um, but yeah, definitely. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's move on from talking about careers to talking about maintaining connection with home. While living abroad, maintaining deep relationships with family and friends could be quite challenging, especially given a busy schedule and a very different time zone. How do you keep up with your family and friends in Lebanon? Of course, it's very challenging. Um, but as you get older, as you grow older, your circle of friends gets smaller because the number of people who are willing to put effort to keep the connection on both sides um, is less. So in the sense that you start to realize who are your real friends who are willing to put the effort to set time aside. I mean, obviously it takes it is challenging and it takes a lot of planning and flexibility on both parts. So you always have to try to make an effort uh, to make time. Actually, I've reached to the point now where I have so, ma so many different time zones with family and friends that I've decided to set a specific weekly time, especially actually with my grandfather. So like a Sunday morning at 9 a.m., as soon as I wake up, I call him. Uh, just to ensure that we're we're gonna talk regularly, because otherwise, you know, with the busy lifestyle. And and as a, as an Arab grandparent, uh, how did your grandfather react to this idea when you first proposed it? Oh no no, he likes it. He likes it because actually, my dad started this tradition. <laughs> yeah, so my dad actually used to go to my grandpa like on specific days at specific hours so everybody in the family knows that thursday at 6 p.m we are in jiddo's house so like whatever you have you make sure that you carve that time in your schedule to go there and actually we've tried to do uh, uh, zoom meetings with like 20 plus family members but uh, definitely not recommended. <laughs> uh, nobody could hear anything, uh, but it was loud, definitely loud, as a family reunion should be. That's a great approach. Still talking about maintaining connection with home, I think that the past few years were quite difficult for Lebanon, including a realm of major political and economical events, and of course, one of the biggest explosions in the history of the world. I, just like everyone who hears the news around the world, was devastated by it. I know you are very proud Lebanese, and they saw your efforts raising awareness. How did being an immigrant affected you during those times? Did you wish you were in Lebanon, or did you feel like you were more empowered to do a role that not many Lebanese people could do? Well, um, I'm not going to sugarcoat how difficult it's been emotionally to be yeah. so far away, but also to deal with the guilt of seeing others you care about suffering. And basically, as the economic crisis worsened last year and COVID was in full swing in Lebanon, a group of Lebanese MIT students 
uh, we mobilized one another and we created the MIT Lebanon Challenge, which was an ideathon that gathered MIT students and our connections and national experts to think of short-term implementable solutions to Lebanon's economic and health crises. Um, in this event, I was the marketing lead and ended up having a team of 14 people helping me create marketing materials to recruit volunteers and participants. And it was a very successful event where more than 1,100 applicants uh, showed up from Lebanon, the diaspora, and also international applicants. Um, and we had set a demo day for the winning teams, which we had been helping for four weeks with mentors of different backgrounds to help push their ideas and help them create startups. And the demo day was set for August 8th. But unfortunately, August 4, uh, the explosion happened and it shocked us all. Um, I, I, like everyone else, obviously was devastated. And I wished that I could drop everything, hop on a plane and support the efforts on the ground. But I couldn't. So I tried to do my best from abroad, targeting my efforts towards raising awareness and fundraising. Um, and along with members of the Lebanese and Arab community, actually, we wrote a, an article in the MIT News detailing the event and asking for donations to our fundraiser. And we also, I also wrote a letter to the MIT architecture alumni asking for their support. So basically, in short, MIT, through its clubs and communities, at that time gave me the necessary platform and the connections to make that small difference because we were able to raise money for the reconstruction efforts, which is something that probably if I were in Lebanon, I wouldn't have had the access to, to this network and these connections and able to make this fundraising. So for all Arabs living abroad and willing to help their countries, what ways are most efficient in your opinion? I mean, I think we are not limited to the ways that we can help especially at this day and age where it's very easy to be connected so many people and and um, NGOs and different causes. I think if you are able to and you would like to return to your country, to the Middle East, I'm the biggest advocate for you to do so. Um, but at the same time, you can also make a lot of change by gaining a new experience abroad, for example, in the US, in Canada, in Europe, and taking all that you have learned and eventually creating something unique there and helping in a new way. So um, now the question that we always end with, what do you miss the most about MIT? Well, I miss so much, <laughs> um, but definitely, definitely, definitely the people. Um, whether it's my professors, my friends, uh, just meeting so many people who are passionate about what they do and they all work so hard and are very interesting and from so many diverse backgrounds. This is so unique and you appreciate it so much more also when you leave because you realize that not all the world is this awesome, <laughs> but definitely uh, the people, yeah. Thank you, Daniela, for joining us today. It was great hearing about some of your adventures all over the globe, your intentional career choices, and strong connection with Lebanon. 
It was a pleasure to have this chat with you, Omar. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> for everyone hearing, if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might like it. Next episode, Dr. Ayman Ismail is going to join us to tell us about lessons he learned studying engineering and economics, working in consulting and entrepreneurship, and his adventures in a two-way journey between Egypt and the U.S. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.